What is the faithfulness of God, and how can we understand it? Are there conditions to answered prayer, and how can we ensure that we are praying correctly? How are God's attributes found in us? 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Does this mean we have eternal security once we are saved, even if we stop believing or living according to his word? I want to know. We want to welcome each and every one of you once again to this episode of the Doctrine of Christ, which will be the final episode of season six. And we're so glad to do that. And you know why? Because whether you know it or not, the doctrine of Christ is the most important thing in your life. And Jimmy, it's just a joy to be here to do our final. I'm not glad it's the last one, but I guess I am glad too, because we've got another 20 episodes out there for folks and we'll be getting ready for season seven. Yeah. Another 20 to prepare for. Yeah, and there's so much material. Um, the Word of God is so rich that it just seems like it gets gooder and gooder, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hearing people talk like that a lot more these days. Yeah. Gooder and gooder. Yeah. Well, in the Lord, we can have gooder and gooder. I don't think there's a whole lot of that out there if you don't know the Lord. It's mm. getting pretty pretty bleak. Amen. Well, but, how are you going to wrap up? This uh, attributes series and uh, this season. Well, I think there's probably the more as I studied and prepared in this, I thought there's no better way to conclude than with the faithfulness of God. What a faithful God we serve. Mm. Amen. And in um, the knowledge of the holy, the A.W. Tozer, which we've referred to multiple times throughout this uh, series, he says, he says this, uh, to have a correct understanding of the attributes, it is necessary that we see them all as one. We cannot think of them separately, but they cannot be separated. Kind of like we, in that one episode, roll together, as we had in that one quote. He says he is at once faithful and immutable. So all his words and acts must be and remain faithful. And because it's not just an individual attribute, but they're rolled together, he is faithful and immutable. And we study that attribute of immutability. It means God never changes. He's faithful, and he can't ever do anything but be faithful. And when we understand that, and we're going to see... What a profound blessing and edification, a meditation on the faithfulness of God will be to us. And in one, just such a fundamental way in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, what a great blessing to know that scripture is good now. It'll be good 10 years from now or 10,000 years from now. 
if the Lord doesn't return. And I think that's probably going to wrap up before then. But what a great thing to know that we have a faithful high priest and mediator that's is always going to be there ready to forgive our sins if we come with that humble and repentant heart. And it says in the book of Psalms, chapter 89 and verse 2, and it speaks of the very faithfulness of God and where it's located. It says, for I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Thy faithfulness shall be established in the very heavens, and in the very heavens at the right hand of the Father, faithfulness is established where a great apostle and high priest, he's our faithful advocate with the Father. He is our faithful high priest and apostle of the faith, there to forgive, always there ready for to give when we come with that, that humble and repentant heart. Now, Brother Tozer said this, and I think we referred to this quote and it's fitting that we would mention this here in our last episode on the attributes. But he said this on page 79 of the Knowledge of the Holy. I think it might be demonstrated that almost every heresy that has afflicted the church through the years has arisen from believing about God things that are not true. And I think the more we think about that, you know, let me read that again. I think it might be demonstrated that almost every heresy that has afflicted the church through the years has arisen from believing about God things that are not true. And I, I think that is such a true statement. We're going to see an example of that and a very clear one in our uh, study today. And it's a way that God referred to himself in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And he is the faithful God. He keeps covenant. And someone that's faithful, that means they do what they say they're going to do. Now, I've known people, I'm sure you have and all of our listeners have, that there's some people when they say they're going to go do this or going to do that, you really take it with a huge grain of salt because you know their character and the words no good. Mm -hmm. But the Father is not like that. He is faithful. And meditating on the faithfulness of God, we're going to see that this is the key to praying the prayer of faith. When we really believe God is faithful, we will be able to pray the prayer of faith. Now, another thing I've noticed through every episode of the attributes, every lesson will bring to my mind one of the old hymns. And the one that came to mind, remember, the old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And so many of the old hymns were about the attributes of God. It's mm -hmm. just amazing. And in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. 
What a blessed thought. New every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. They fail not because he's immutable as well as faithful. Uh, that reminds me of that other verse. We probably had this one in the Mercy of God episode because uh, his mercies are renewed every morning as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love that. And every one of his attributes is renewed every morning because he's immutable. He can't change. And he's faithful. And when we, and you know, you know, we can say, well, you know, God's faithful. Well, amen. But do we really let that sink in? That's why it's a meditation. One of the Hebrew words for meditation means to chew. I mean, we need to chew on that till it really registers with it that God is faithful. He can't ever be anything but faithful. And when we really start getting a hold of that, we're coming to the place where we can pray the prayer of faith. Now, let's think about what Jesus said here. And without a firm belief that God is faithful, your prayer life is going to be tremendously hindered. Because that's what believing the prayer of faith is. Right. You're believing God's faithful to do what he said he would do. Now, in Mark chapter 11 and verse 24, Jesus said this, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. The key to answered prayer is faith. And, you know, you can say, I believe, I believe, but there's a faith that is a gift that's imparted to our hearts for the Holy Spirit that enables us to believe. And this is what it takes when we can come to the place where we really believe God's faithful and he really do will do what he said he would do. That's where the prayer of faith touches the throne of God. Now, let's look at um, what Charles Finney had to say. Now, this is something and I've been reading many of the old prayer warriors, uh, Finney and Tory, and Charles Finney said this, and there was a fella can't remember what his name was, but in his autobiography, he referred to this man several times, and he was in his 80s, and he was a prayer warrior, and Charles Finney put great stock in him, and many times he would go to his home and seek advice from this man, and he just was there, lived by himself in his 80s, but he could pray, and Charles Finney said this, he said, and this is on Revival Lectures, page 79, in whatever circumstance a child of God may be placed, God has provided in the Bible some promise, either general or particular, which he can apply that is precisely suited to his case. Pray the word of God. He goes on to say, now you need not let your Bible lie on a shelf and expect God to reveal his promises to you. Search the scriptures and see where you can get either a general or special promise or a prophecy on which you can plant your feet. Find something in the Word of God that applies to your need. Pray the Word of God, and then all it takes is for you to understand and really, really believe that God is faithful. 
I, I told somebody that in the comments section the other day. We do a, a every Sabbath we do a prayer request on Jimmy Vision thing. Either I, do, I either do a little video or I just put a picture up, and people just put prayer requests in the comments. So be looking for that if you've never known that we do that. I noticed that, Jimmy. That's we great. we start praying, you know, throughout the day. I'll I'll check it, and but there's this one lady. She's been praying. She's been asking prayer for uh, ever since we started doing this a month or two, and and that was the that's what I was able to. The Lord gave me to give her the other day was find something in the Word. Yeah, read back His Word, and and just trust it, and find out how it applies yeah. to your situation. And the value of meditating on the faithfulness of God and and in understanding Bible prophecy, too. There's there's 20 scriptures I could have put up with this, too, and we're not going to go into it. I'll just mention it. But all through and the gospel of Luke, especially this happened. This fulfills this. You know, God is faithful. Every prophecy he, he gave. It's just history written in advance, hmm. and he's faithful to bring it about. And when we really understand the faithfulness of God, we'll be able to believe and understand Bible prophecy. And you know, another thing that helps, uh, Matthew Henry, he wrote a book called uh, "Pray." You know, it's about how to pray the Word. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I've got it over here. Over here, let me show you. <clears throat> Oh, it's called a method, a method for prayer, and he just—you're just reading it. You're reading, and, and he's taking scriptures and just turning them into prayers. Yeah, and this has helped me a lot, just to to see how I could do that in my own life. Yeah, and every one of the Puritans, uh, every effective prayer, did it that way. And that is the true way to pray and pray the prayer of faith and not to pray amiss. And the like that old another old hymn, standing on the promises. Um and uh second Peter chapter one and verse four, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. We have exceeding great and precious promises given unto us that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And we have to remember, and the wingnuts, many of them in the Word of Faith movement, they'll say that if you say, if it be God's will when you pray, you're sinning, that you're not supposed to worry about the will of God that you can just, if you believe it, you can have it. Just a little something wrong with that. Um, in First John chapter 3 and verse 22, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And whenever we see the promises of God, there are conditions there. Mm -hmm. And when we meet the conditions, and we can believe that God is faithful, we're going to see prayers answered. Well, yeah, there's a scripture that says you pray and you receive not because you ask amiss. Yeah. So there's a problem in how you're approaching, you know. And maybe, it's, maybe it is a faithful, a lack of faith issue. Maybe it's a, 
just goes against something that God has already told us is not his will, but yet it's something we're still asking for, you know. Or maybe it's just for selfish se- selfish reasons, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot more difficult to pray incorrectly if you're praying the Word of God. I mean, how wrong can you go <laughs> if you're praying the Word of God? And you always have to see now, what are the conditions? Uh, do I meet the conditions? And when we meet the conditions, we have a faithful God that will do what he said he would do. And in 1 John 5.14, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And over and over, it's all about Jesus and uh, everything we do and we say. it always comes back to Christ. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, for all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him, amen, unto the glory of God. Every blessing that we receive will come through our faith in the finished work of the cross. Anything else is illegitimate. It all comes through Christ. All of the promises of God are in him, yea and amen, by the finished work of the Son of God upon the cross. Now, let's look at something, and anyone that was a legitimate uh, prayer warrior and man of woman of God, you're going to hear this from them, like Brother Henry, and it's a method. I like that title, it's a method. Well, when we, we have a need or someone else does, well, this is our method. We find a text of Scripture. And we go from there. That's our method. I like that. Mm-hmm. Now, Ari Tori, he had this to say in his book, How to Pray. And this was a book that was used in the late 1800s and early 1900s to spark revivals. And he says this. He says, when you have a definite promise in God's word, you do not need to put any ifs before it. All the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. And when it's in the will of God, and when you meet the conditions, you don't have to put an if in front of it. Now, the word of faith people, they say you don't even have to pray in the will of God. And that's obviously wrong. Mm -hmm. That's obviously wrong. But I don't know how um, they get away with doing what they do. It's so bizarre. But Brother Tory goes on. He says, to pray the prayer of faith, we must first of all study the Word of God, especially the promises of God, and find out what the will of God is and build our prayers on the written promises of God. Intelligent faith, and that is the only kind of faith that counts with God, must have a warrant and cannot believe by just trying to make ourselves believe. Such belief as that is not faith, but credulity. It is make-believe. And that's what so much of what passes for prayer in some of these bizarre movements. It's not faith, it's make-believe. He goes on to say, so whenever I wanted anything I asked God for, I tried to make myself believe I was going to get it But I didn't get it, for it was only make-believe, and I did not really believe at all. But I later learned that faith cometh by hearing, 
and hearing by the word of God, and that if I wish to pray the prayer of faith, I must have some warrant for my faith, some ground upon which to rest my faith, and that the surest of all grounds for faith was the word of God. So when I desired anything of God, I would search the scriptures and find if there was some promise that covered the case, and then go to God and plead his own promise. And thus resting upon the promise, I would believe that God has heard, and he had, and I got what I asked. Ever since there have been children of God to pray, this is how men and women of faith have prayed the word of God and prayed that that prayer of faith. And to really escalate your prayer life, you cannot pray. How can we believe that God is going to honor his word if we don't have a deep understanding of the faithfulness of God? The more we believe God is faithful, And the more we can meditate on the faithfulness of God, our prayer life is going to be blessed exponentially. And that is what the text says. So then Romans 10 and 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We read the word of God. We find the text and we meditate upon the word of God. Now, in the book of Psalms, chapter 36, Psalm chapter 36 and verse 5, thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reaches unto the clouds. Now, that's a good one, isn't it? Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. And there's one to sit with a while. Brother Spurgeon said this in the treasury of David. He said, far, far above all comprehension is the truth and faithfulness of God. He never fails, nor forgets, nor falters, nor forfeits his word. Afflictions are like clouds, but the divine truthfulness is all around them. While we are under the cloud, we are in the region of God's faithfulness. When we mount above it, We shall not need such an assurance to every word of threat or promise, prophecy or covenant. The Lord has exactly adhered, for he is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. This is the faithfulness of God. Now, every every one of these attributes of God, because like it says in 2 Peter, He has given us the divine nature. And when we receive the divine nature at new birth, the Holy Spirit is at work developing the attributes of God within us. And in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, of all the fruit of the Spirit, the one that is probably the scarcest is faithfulness. And when you see somebody and you meet someone, you have to be around someone a while. I think that's one of the many reasons the Bible says, know ye them that labor among you. And you can meet someone, they can seem charming and nice and might be, but you don't know if that person's faithful or not. Faithful to their family, faithful to the Lord, faithful to the word. And um, it's probably of all 
the rarest of the fruits. But in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. Now, the fruit of faith, when that manifests in us, the fruit of faith manifests as faithfulness. And it makes us faithful to God. It makes us faithful to our family. It makes us faithful to our brothers and sisters in Christ. It gives us wisdom to, to walk with wisdom to them that were without, that we are honest. We say we're going to do something. We do it. Our word means something um, because we are faithful. Now, in the Speaker's Bible, there's a uh, which it was a 18th century commentary, and it says this concerning the fruit of faith. It is not faith in its theological sense to which the apostle is here referring. The idea of fidelity in what is what seems to be intended. St. Paul's thought is that the Christian life is to manifest itself in the faithful discharge of all duties and the honest handling of all things committed unto it. And this is one of the most important fruits. Well, how can we say one's more important than the other? We can't do that. But as we look through the scriptures, there are repeated places where it refers to the scarcity and even the rarity of this fruit of faith. What did Jesus say? When I return, will I find faithfulness on the earth or faith will on I the find earth? Faith on the earth, yeah. And he will, but it ain't going to be a lot. We know that few will be saved. And the more we live this life and study the word, we realize that that's the case, that it's going to the faithful man. Uh, Psalm 12 and 1 Help, Lord, for the godly man seeth us, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. And when faithful people fail from among the children of men, we're in a lot of trouble. And <laughs> well, I mean, what's Hebrews 11 say? Without faith, it's impossible to even please God. Yeah. It's pretty important. Yeah, it is. It's fundamental. It's fundamental if you don't have it. You know, you're not on the playing field. And if you have true faith, that fruit of faithfulness will develop in you. I mean, and, and just like our politicians, we can tell they're lying if their lips are moving. I mean, their word is worth nothing. Absolutely nothing. Nothing. Um, less than nothing. Uh, no faithfulness at all. Uh, if you want an example of unfaithfulness, just you know, look at that. And in Psalm chapter 31 and verse 23, O love the Lord, all ye his servants, for the Lord preserveth the faithful and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. And God will preserve the faithful. People that just focus on being humble and faithful and obedient to whatever the Lord has given us, he will preserve you. There's a promise to get a hold of right there. Look at that. Oh, love the Lord, all ye his saints, for the Lord preserveth the faithful. If you are faithful to the Lord, you can get a hold of that because God is faithful and he'll honor that if we will just pray it and believe it. Hmm.
What an awesome God we serve. And, um, and you know, here again, faithfulness, uh, you know, we're not talking about optional baggage that, well, we're going to have a faithful Christian. Well, I'm an unfaithful Christian. Well, in First uh, Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. It is required. It's not optional. And the level of this faithfulness um, in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10, and I think this is a scripture that is very much coming into direct obligation or application. But in Revelation 2 and 10, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that ye may be tried and ye shall have tribulation ten days, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Faithful unto death. Like Jesus said, he that endureth unto the end, the same shall be saved. You know, and it's, it's true with, even if we, if you and I live out our natural life to its fullest days, we still have to be faithful. Unto death, because even yeah. if it's our just our natural death, we have to be faithful yeah. until we take our last breath, one way or the other. And that's what every day, you know, Lord, what can I do to, you know, just be faithful. Whatever little thing the Lord's trusted us with, we'll just be faithful to it, and we'll just keep being obedient. You know, and when people talk a lot about, you know, the last days, which I'm sure it really does feel that way, but it, but maybe it's not. But I tell people, it it may be the last days, but no matter whether or not it is, it's my I'm in my last days. Yeah, you know I'm in I'm on the mm-hmm. I'm on the backside, and so we, we still have to treat our lives as as though it's our last days, or we're in the last days. I think we sure do. I I. I believe that very strongly. And another text in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6, it again alludes to the rarity of this faithfulness in man. Uh, It says, most men will proclaim everyone his own goodness, but a faithful man who can find? You know, this is truly, and sad to say, even among professed Christians, uh, I know so many, I will, and you have been too, but I've been a lot of, around a soul, a lot of so-called big names in my time. I've met and worked with people that have a pretty good pretty good reputation or well-known or whatever you want to say about them. But many of them, um, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, when you meet someone that's well-known many times, and I'll say even most oftentimes, it's a disappointment. It's a disappointment. Mm-hmm. And you'll find that um, there's not a lot of faithfulness there. Now, there's an area of faithfulness that we really, and there's a lot of scripture on this, and it's really something else for us to think about. God is faithful to chastise us. And this is a big deal because if you did not have a mom and a dad that would punish you, that is worse to overcome than poverty or whatever obstacle you have, because if you have not received correction as a child, 
you're going to have to learn the hard way. And it's a great thing. And there's nothing worse a mom and dad can do for a child than to leave that child to itself. And the scripture says a child left to itself will bring its mother to shame. And in Psalm 119, and we have a faithful God and he is faithful to chastise us. And we should be so thankful for that. Because Um, he loves us. Yeah, yeah. And in Psalm 119, verse 71, it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes, you know. And when we were young and we got our backside warmed up, it was good for us. We didn't think so at the time, but it was good. And and I've kind of joked a lot of times when you you go out to the woodshed, take a look, you'll see my initials carved in the wall there, you know. But it, it's a good thing. And this is something in Scripture. Go down to verse 75 there. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness hath afflicted me. He in faithfulness afflicts us because he's our faithful father. He's not a delinquent parent. He is a faithful father. And the chastisement of God, the scripture says that if we are not chastised, we don't know but what um, we're a bastard and not a son is the very word that is used in scripture. And in Hosea chapter 5 and verse 15, I will go and return to my place till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face in their affliction, they will seek me early. And this is what it takes many times. It's just like a child. You have to afflict them for them to learn. It's the same thing with a spiritual child. Each and every one of us, we have been doing things we shouldn't, and it's through the affliction and chastisement of God that he brought us out of whatever thing we're in. And we've all been there and bought the T-shirt of Jeremiah Burroughs, the, uh, a Puritan who wrote a commentary in the book of Hosea. He says, many will be for the saints and their own cause of God when all things go well and their side prospers. But in trouble, they shall forsake them as if they knew them not. And this is the old uh, saying we call a fair weather friend. And most people are like that. Um, I've said um, that when you live your life and you get down to where you're going to leave this world, if you hold your hand up, you probably will not be able to fill it up with real friends, Uh, a real friend. You know, a friend loveth at all times and a brother is born for adversity. What did Jesus say that there's no greater love than than a man to lay down his life for his friends? Yeah. I mean, I don't I mean I don't know that I know anybody that would literally die on my behalf. <laughs> and uh maybe somebody would. Well, there are people that will and when we really believe that there's more to this life than what we see before us. We will understand that there are some things that are worth dying for and uh, defending friends and family. Um, those are some of those things. Yeah. And there are still some of those people around because they're faithful. And um, in Proverbs 29 and 25, 
The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be made safe. And that is so true. Now, I want to look at the text here. <laughs> I'm gonna, we're going to see what it means in the Word of God. It's really very obvious. And then we're going to go to crazy town. <laughs> then we're going to see what people today are saying about it. I mean, they have lost their minds. They literally have lost their minds. And how anybody can follow after some of these things, it boggles my mind. But people let them get away with it. Now, let's look at a text in 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses 12 and 13. And the scripture says this. It is a faithful saying. For if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Now, let me give you a couple of godly commentators, what they said in this text. Then we're going to go to one of my favorite preachers, Charles Stanley. And we're going to see if we can see a difference here. Now, Matthew Poole said this, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, whether we believe or not, or whether we be faithful to our trust or be not, yet God will show himself faithful either to his promises made to them that believe or to his threatenings denounced against those that believe not. He cannot deny himself. So God is faithful, whether in the promises and the threatenings. And we're going to read something from John Gill about the faithfulness of God in executing his punishments. There are many places in the Word of God, Leviticus or uh, Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28, where it lays it out very clear, the consequences of disobedience. So, you know, God always has to act according to his attributes because that's who and what God is. If we deny him, he'll deny us. He's faithful. Whether we believe or not, he's going to be faithful. And that means he's going to act according to his attributes. This is Thomas Koch. Thomas Koch said this, a man may be unfaithful by denying the Christian religion or rejecting it by corrupting it or mingling another doctrine with it, or by living unworthy of it. If we should prove unfaithful in any of these ways, yet Christ is faithful and must disown us as being none of his disciples. The unfaithfulness here spoken of seems to have been denying the Christian religion in time of persecution in order to avoid suffering. If we deny him, he will deny us, so, and he'll be faithful whether to his threatenings or his promises. So is that what verse 13 means? If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. So that, that verse is actually saying he's not faithful to us. He's faithful to sending us away. He is faithful to it. He cannot deny himself. God, And what that's saying I, I've God, never read it that way. Yeah, God must act according to his attributes. He cannot deny himself because he's immutable. He will and always must act according to his attributes, whether in blessing or whether in punishment. 
either I've always taken this verse or it's been taught to me just throughout my life that, you know, he's talking about the faithfulness of, of Jesus and all this. And he's so faithful that even if we believe not, he's still got our back. That's that's how I've always thought, and and it never really made rang true. It always bothered me, but I, di- I didn't understand it any other way. Now it's it's crystal clear. Yeah. Now I'll tell you where you might have heard it. Is this where and, you're going? Yeah, <laughs> Mr. And, Stanley. And he's not the only one. Right. He's not the only one because I mean you've heard it. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have heard it. And well, other words, it's got to go along with the whole predis you know, or, uh, dispensational probably theology, right? Yeah. Yeah. And listen to this. This is on page 93 of Charles Stanley's book, Eternal Security, Can You Be Sure? This is what Mr. Stanley says. The apostles, many, he quotes the verse here. He gives the verse, 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. The apostles' meaning is evident. Even if a believer, for all practical purposes, becomes an unbeliever, his salvation is not in jeopardy. Wow. Let me read that again. Even if a believer, for all practical purposes, becomes an unbeliever, his salvation is not in jeopardy. Christ will remain faithful. And yes, Christ will remain faithful, but he will he will not deny himself because of we have seen along with the love and the grace and the mercy. There is the judgment and the holiness. He'll be faithful to his attributes. He cannot deny himself because he will always act in concert with his attributes. You know, I hope, you know how we talk sometimes about how we once believed one way and then we came to our senses or we came to a higher level of knowledge or whatever or understanding and we realized that the way we thought was wrong. I really do pray that Stanley, since he wrote that book, has come to understanding that that's wrong, what he's saying. Because if he doesn't, I mean, he's he's taught a lot of people some, some heresy, and it wouldn't be good to be him on the final day. No. And you know, also, Pope Francis made quite a bit of news a while back when he said atheists could be saved. Uh, Pope Francis said that also, and that's nothing more than what these people are. Listen to this. This is on page 94. Here's a new theological term that Mr. Stanley and people like him have termed. Christ will not deny an unbelieving Christian his or her salvation, because to do so would be to deny himself. Unbelieving Christian. Christ will not deny an unbelieving Christian his or her salvation. So you cannot you cannot believe at all. Well, I guess maybe if you said a prayer sometime, somewhere, you know, said the sinner's prayer, even if you totally say you're an atheist, you're still saved. That's, that's what he's saying, an unbelieving Christian. He says it plain out. Well, this is no different than Pope Francis saying atheists can be saved. Well, did he, did he put two or three scriptures to, to be the two or three witnesses for any given concept? Did he, did he give those? He uses the scripture I read, 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. But he's got to find, he's got to balance that with some other scripture somewhere to come up with that concept. Yeah. And that is not at all by any means what that text is saying. 
You know, if we deny him, he'll deny us. And whether we believe or not, he'll be faithful because he can't deny himself. He'll do what's right, whether we believe or not. Mm. And they twist that around to say, well, you can be an unbelieving Christian. And this is nothing. That's an oxymoron. Yeah. How, How can you be an unbelieving Christian? We're, we're saved by grace through faith, but if you're an unbelieving Christian, I guess maybe if you believe for a day or two, you know, in the parable of the sower, it talked about those that endured for a while and uh, fell away into apostasy. But I guess there is no apostasy to these people. You can even not believe. I mean, this is people should really think about how crazy this is crazy time. I mean, this is absolute crazy time. Brain sick. Brain sick. Yes, it is brain sick. <laughs> I told sick. you we're bringing that word back. That is, and that's brain sick. That is. And for anybody that follows and supports these people, shame on you. Shame on you. And, you know, what can you say? It's just mind boggling. Now, Arthur Pink, on page 53 of his book, another book, Arthur Pink's book on the attributes of God, we've referred to it multiple mm-hmm. times also in our study, but he has suggestions for what to do when you doubt the faithfulness of God. Now, when you're praying and you're pressing in, what determines whether you'll believe or not is whether you believe God's faithful. If you read the word of God, if you believe God is faithful to honor that word, you can pray the prayer of faith. Now, here's what you do when you stop doubting the faithfulness of God. According to Brother Pink, he says, when you're tempted to doubt the faithfulness of God, cry out, get the hint, Satan, though you cannot now harmonize God's mysterious dealings with the avowals of his love. Wait on him for more light in his own good time. He will make it plain to you. And we've all been there, haven't we? And I know so many times as someone that has studied the scriptures for multiple decades, There's been times I just didn't understand what a text meant, and then one day it had come to me. And when there's situations in our life we don't understand, uh, whatever the case may be, we don't get angry with God. Uh, You know, I think um, my Friday night message is going to be based, um, or one very soon, on the writings of John Flavel. And John Flavel was a Puritan that, his father, he was a young preacher's kid and at home with his parents when his father was arrested for preaching the gospel. And his father died in prison from the bubonic plague. And that would be plenty to make many people bitter and hated, hateful against God. But Brother Spurgeon described John Flavel. He compared him to George Whitfield as just a flaming fire for Christ, just an amazing fella. One of the many, many men of God that their names have just passed from memory. But you know, it's a. I'm sorry. I, before I forget, I don't do this all all the time. But there's there are times when I'm reading some scripture that I like to pray this scripture over myself before I start reading. And it's it's what Jesus did for those two guys on the road uh, in Luke uh, 24, 45, where he went, says, then he opened up their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. So there's a lot of times I'll, I'll pray before I start to read, I'm like, Father, open up my understanding so I can understand your word. And that is a great thing to do. 
there's nothing better than that, uh, no doubt about it. And also, uh, there's a text here, if I can find it. Okay, yeah, in Ephesians chapter 1, and this is a prayer of the Apostle Paul, very much like the, the one you referred to in Ephesians 1.17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And there, there was a, a, and I've read a people that really write and pray. They talk about praying to be able to pray, <laughs> you know, and preparing your heart to seek God, mm -hmm. preparing your heart to seek God and praying to be able to pray. Because we, you know, when we went through a day and we've had uh, this and that, jostle against us and trouble our mind and we have to focus on God and clear our mind out to get to that place where we can prepare our heart and and seek his face and that our total dependence you know when we pray prayers like this we're recognizing our utter dependence upon him and uh that is just such a great thing Jimmy that is just such 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 good advice now, there's such scriptural warrant for what Brother Pink said in John chapter 13, verse 7. Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And that's so true with so many of us that we don't understand things. But And this is what it really means to wait upon the Lord. There's times when we don't understand what's happening to us. We're going to have some very difficult times in the very near future, I believe. But God is faithful no matter what's going on in this world. God is faithful. He will preserve the faithful. And when we're in a situation, whether uh, personal or whatever, uh, we don't understand, we need to wait upon the Lord. We don't need to become bitter. We don't need to run off to the right hand or the left. We need to just continue to be faithful and wait upon the Lord. That's what it means. And in Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 18, and therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted that he may have mercy upon you. For the Lord is the God of judgment Blessed are all they that wait for him. And notice it says in the text that the Lord will wait that he may be gracious. God is omniscient. He knows how to do things. And always, I'm much more impatient than him. You know, I will always think things should happen quicker. Mm -hmm. But that's just our human nature. We don't see things from the perspective of the Father. Right. So many times he will wait and his graciousness will be given to us at the time that is most exponential. Therefore, will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto us. Blessed are all they that wait for him. And we don't give up at times when we don't see answers. We have to keep praying, be faithful, because 
we believe we have a faithful God. And if we wait upon him, he's going to come through. He will never fail us. And the the blessed text in uh, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Praise God. Teach me, Lord. Teach me, Lord, to wait. Yes. That's, yes. The end of that, that's the end of that hymn. Yes. And that is so true. And we've got to learn to wait. We've got to learn because our human nature doesn't want to wait. We want relief right now. But we have to believe in the faithfulness of God. And we have to wait upon that. Such a huge, huge element. Um, Brother Gill said this, and we've already alluded to this thought on page 118. John Gill said, the faithfulness of God appears in fulfilling his threatenings as well as his promises. And this is something, and this, you know, when Mr. Stanley interpreted that text as he did, he just ripped huge parts of the word of God out. It's just like when they brought the scroll under the king in his summer house and he took his pen knife and he would just slice it up and throw it to the fireplace. And that's what these people are doing. They just might as well take a knife and just cut it up and throw it in the fireplace. Uh, you know, because. Oh, I'm sorry. I cut no, you no, off. Go again. ahead, Jimmy. Go right ahead, please. I was going to clarify something. You know, when I said it, that verse 13 of Second Timothy 2, that I always just thought that you know, he he had our back, I, I never took it to the extreme that I felt like that meant I could just go do whatever I wanted. Mm-hmm. I just thought that meant if I didn't just rightly believe something or completely believe or, or just hadn't got to, he still had my back, basically. So I never, even when I didn't understand that scripture, I didn't, I wasn't taking that as uh, to just turn my back on Christ and I'm, I'm, I'm good, you know. But yeah, I just wanted to clarify that. I just thought it meant, you know, as long as I, as long as I was trying, you know. Well, there's a lot of truth, you know. As long as we're honestly trying with the light we have from a pure heart to do what's right, the Lord said. Thankfully, blessed are the pure in heart, not blessed are the great in brain. And uh, that'll give us hope. But yeah, but it's awful. You know, it's really disturbing to think about. It's disturbing that, I mean, this is send your soul to hell stuff that they're done. Mm. It's just poison. But I'll just read a little bit. I know we're familiar with this, but one of the many texts, Deuteronomy 28, 15 But it shall come to pass, if thou will not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. And God is faithful to honor his word. He's faithful to honor this word as much as any of the many promises to bless. So we need to understand that we serve a faithful God. If we deny him, he'll deny us. He'll, whether we believe or not, he'll be faithful and he'll act according to his attributes. Hmm. You know, we, we can change. We can do this or that. We might stick beans up our nose, but God's going to be faithful and do what he's going to do. I've done that. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. 
I'm 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 stepping on your toes now, huh, Jimmy? <laughs> well, well, David, you know, how do how do we come to this? How do we get to the ability to to have this faith that we're talking about here? I think one of the greatest things we can do is meditate on the faithfulness of God. Meditate. Just don't listen to this teaching. Get the scriptures, the many of them, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, Lamentations 2, 22 and 23, some of the many that we've read, and just meditate until it really gets into your heart of hearts that God is faithful. God is faithful. And this is, I think, I don't know of anything any better, because when we really believe God's faithful, we are ready to read his word and believe he'll honor it. Such a huge thing. Mm. And when we believe God's faithful, we'll understand, like Brother Gill said, he'll be faithful to Deuteronomy 28 just as much as he is to any other part of his word. And Because he will not deny himself. He, he cannot deny himself. He cannot do anything but act according to his attributes. That's what God will always do. And the more we understand what God is like, and just like we have spent time, we did an entire week on the holiness of God, the wrath of God, the judgment of God, and these things have to be fully understood, the fear of God. They have to be fully understood to really understand that God can't deny himself. He's going to do what that immutable, faithful God will do. Now, let's look at a scripture, and I'm going to read one scripture here that is going to be familiar to almost everybody, and I will read another scripture that will be familiar probably to very few. But in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, the scripture says, let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now, this is another text that this is taught to mean that it doesn't matter what kind of a abominable life you're living, that God is going to be with you and bless you in that state. Yeah, people just quote the back part of that verse. Yeah. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. It, they talk, they leave out that, you know, the conditions for that. Yeah. Now, let's try this one. I bet that not as many people, um, and that's one of them verses, and it's a great verse. Yeah. It's a great verse, but it's used in such a flippant way. It's one of those many uh, scriptures, just like the one in Timothy, that they try to use to cover people with that false plaster of the false assurance, false religion, false salvation. But let's try this one in Second Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 2. And he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. This scripture is just as true, and God will honor this just as much as Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. 
because God cannot do anything but act according to all of his attributes. Now, one more thought here. And everything about Jesus in the doctrine of Christ, um, you know, of course, everything about Jesus was faithfulness. He was faithfulness, just like every one of these attributes, his faithfulness to his father, his faithfulness to us to die and suffer for us when he had every opportunity to take the easy road out. He was faithful to us. Uh, he was faithful to his father. He just faithfulness personified. But in the Zondervan uh, Pictorial Encyclopedia, it says this. It says, when God is spoken of as father, there is conveyed the idea of his faithfulness in loving and providing for his children. And we've already touched on this thought in the thought of a faithful father um, in disciplining his children. And this was so much, this is what the Lord brought to us. And he said in, in John 17, uh, Father, I have revealed your name unto them. And everyone will say, well, I wonder what the name is. How do I pronounce it? it did anyone hear a name there? Father, I have revealed your name unto them. Father. And this revelation of God as Father, this is something that Jesus taught. It's something that Paul taught. And the understanding of God as Father, just like the encyclopedia said, this is founded upon the idea that God is faithful. He is our faithful Father. Uh, Brian Dirksen wrote a song called Faithful Father. Beautiful song. Now, in Mark chapter 14 and verse 36, Jesus said this, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me, nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And that word Abba, that would be the very first words a little Jewish baby would say, like we would say, Dada. They would say, Abba. And this is the way that Christ revealed the name of the Father, Abba, Father. The faithfulness of God as a faithful Father and our relationship with Him to look to Him with a perfect childlike faith, Abba, Father. And just like Jesus said in uh, Matthew 18, that if you don't, well, let me just turn to that and read that because it's very worth. Uh, bearing upon our mind at this point in Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, and he said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. And it's so fundamental that we understand that childlike faith and we can say, Abba, Father. And behind that is the faithfulness of God. The ver Every time we address the Father. We need to always think of him as the faithful Father. He is our faithful Father. And it is such a wonderful thing. And this is this is what the Apostle Paul, uh, he expounded upon this as many biblical writers did. And in Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And the Holy Spirit, 
is that spirit of adoption, and he will give us that childlike faith, and he will intercede for us and enable us to come to that place. And here again, it's about us understanding the faithfulness of God, isn't it? Everything, our prayer life and our entire relationship with God, the more we understand the deep comprehension of the faithfulness of God, the stronger we are in every aspect of our Christian life. And in the book of Galatians, chapter 4 and verse 6, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Spirit of God within us is crying out, Abba, Father. And what a faithful God we serve, Jimmy. And I just am so thankful to be able to share these great truths with our listeners and how confident we can be by pointing people to this firm foundation of faith and the faithfulness of God that it is going to be such a great and tremendous blessing unto them in every aspect of their spiritual life. With all of my heart.